Amen. Well, today is the last weekend, or this weekend is the last weekend in the Giants Going Down series. And this has been so good for me, and I hope for you too. Um, I, I, I was out in the hills yesterday with my boys, and uh, it's so amazing. I don't know what it is. It seems like little boys just have to pick up rocks, right? <laughs> and sticks. Man, we were doing that yesterday, and it made me, it made me think about uh, this and, uh, you know, how we can try so hard on our own. We, even little Laz, three years old, and he's a little guy, he was trying to pick up a stick that was bigger than him and carry it along, man. But we can try in our strength, but it's not about our strength. It's about the giant slayer. That's what we've been talking about. So now, uh, if we were to subtitle today's message, I think I'd want to call it it is time. It is time. Would you say that with me this morning? Ready? It is time. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you. I have a question for you. On June the 6th, we celebrate one of the great days in the history of freedom. Does anybody know what we celebrate on June 6th? D-Day. So maybe you knew that, but maybe you're not 100% if you're in the room and you heard that this morning, what D-Day is. It's, it's amazing that as time go, goes on, that these bellwether moments in history kind of fade into the past. And this day is one of those days that we can't allow to fade into the past. Um, on D-Day, June 6th, this was 1944, 160,000 Allied forces landed on a 50-mile stretch of beaches on the coast of France called Normandy. And the beaches were incredibly fortified because everything in this day and age, it took time. And so people knew something was up, and so preparations were made. The operation was massive in scale, and there was everything at stake. Everything was at stake. We can't be too dramatic today talking about that day. And I'm guessing a lot of people in the room, especially from younger generations, well, it's like, well, I, th I think we read about that, or maybe we covered it in the history book somewhere along the way. But I'm looking, you know, across this room, and there are a few people in that generation in this room right now that still remember what is at stake at that time, right? And, and what was at stake was freedom for all people on planet Earth. That's what the day was about. The Nazis had already overrun Poland, and from, from that point, had overrun much of Egypt, and they had a stronghold grip on Europe, and their, their power was unrivaled in military forces at the time. And so that is until this allied forces band together and said, there's going to be a moment in time in this story where the narrative is going to change, right? The story is going to change. And it was an all-out commitment on that day. And so 5,000 ships were involved in the Normandy invasion and 13,000 aircraft supported. 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircraft to both prepare the way and to deploy airborne troops into this fight. And so at the end of the day, 9,000 Allied soldiers had lost their lives or were wounded in the assault. But the Allies had established a beachhead that day on the shores of Normandy from which they would overpower the Nazi forces. 
and they would win the battle for freedom's sake in Europe, and then ultimately in time, the Pacific Arena and World War II came to an end because of D-Day. And freedom-loving people all over the world rejoice, right? So they call this D-Day, and it doesn't seem like there's one kind of written down hard and fast exactly what the term D-Day or what it means, why it's given to this moment, but some have suggested that it could be Decision Day. And it could be that moment in time where things were going to change. It was time, right? It was time. It was time for freedom. But I'm also reminded today that for a lot of us in the room, God wants there to be a D-Day in our lives. And today, there is a giant slayer standing in the valley named Jesus, and he has power to set us free. Amen? But there are people in this place today who are still living comfortably and complacently, tolerating somebody or something in your life that is far less than what God intended. So today, might I suggest that God is saying to us, could this be your D-Day? Could this be your D-Day? Could this be the day that goes down in your history? Is it the day that you say, I've had enough with living with less, and I want to step in the fullness of what God has prepared for me in my life and then in this story of David and Goliath, which we've been on for over a month now. And so there, there's a narrative that is very interesting in the middle of our text. Go ahead and stand with me as we read it this morning, just to honor the reading of God's word as we get started. We're going to be beginning in verse 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is what is unfolding. If you didn't know the background of why the little shepherd boy named David ends up in this arena of conflict in the first place, this is kind of the story. This is how he gets there. It says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. And then he clarifies for David, as if maybe David hasn't heard or doesn't know what the situation was, like there's a war going on. He says, they are with Saul and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And so Jesse, whose three oldest sons are in this fight, he wants a view of what's going on in the valley. So let's find out what this is all about today. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your purposes and your plans here this morning. God, we want to hear from you. God, speak through me this morning. your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. All right. So Jesse, David's dad wants a view of what's going on in the valley. So he's saying, it's the Philistines, and I know they're drawn up for battle. There's an intense fighter going on, and he's thinking, my sons are in the middle of it, so I need to make sure that they have food to keep fueling them for the fight. But also, if you're going to go and do that, I haven't gotten any updates, and so I need to know if that there, there are casualties and how things are going in the battle. I want to find out. So, so David, go supply your brothers. Go take this food to him. Take something for the commanders too and come back and let me know how my boys are doing. That's what's going on. So dad is thinking there's a battle going on and my sons are there. So David, he shows up as his dad is instructed and he shows up to the battle and lo and behold, 
there is no fight going on whatsoever. Right, because what's the scene when he gets there? Israel's camped out on one side, and the Philistines are on the other. Then you've got an empty valley. The only person who enters the valley is Goliath. And he's been coming out every morning and every night, and he his, his taunts for the army of Israel and for their God. But the men of Israel are in their tents or around their fires, being resupplied by their little brothers, right? Nobody has had a spear thrown their way. Nobody's taken a, a blow. Nobody has a wound. Nobody's been involved in the conflict. That's the story when he gets there. And all the while, dad is thinking, man, there's a battle going on. And I hope my boys are okay. That's his thoughts, right? And so David arrives and he gets there and he took the bread and everything's fine. In fact, his brothers are doing pretty fantastic. It looks like they might have put on a little bit of weight. <laughs> and so... They all seem fairly comfortable, and everything is really, really calm at the valley. So do you know what that says? If you think about it and you peel back the layers of, of, of what's going on in the story right here, is there are a lot of times that we don't fully understand, or somehow we've allowed ourselves to take a view of our lives that isn't really the accurate view of who God wants us to be. So on your notes, it says, we will accept less, we will tolerate less, we will accommodate less, and even get to the point where we are comfortable and familiar with less. And then we'll paint a story of our lives and they'll say, boy, we're out here and we're in the battle. <laughs> right? When we tell the story, we're out here and we are following Jesus. And they're out there living their lives and at the end of the day, they're not following God at all. They were not living in God's power at all. They were not experiencing anything of what God wanted them to experience, right? And somehow we've got one view of life, but you, but you know, it's interesting. The, peop the people around us have a different view. And today God wants to wake us up to his view of life so that maybe somebody in the room this morning, including myself, can say, I'm sitting here with less while God is calling me into something of more. Well, my God, who is a giant slayer, is ready to go into the valley and fight for more for me. So today is my day to step into what God has for me. The problem is called the giant of complacency. That's different than the giant of comfort. Comfort is the fire is warm and I've got plenty of food and everything's good and comfortable. That's that giant. The giant of complacency, you know, the giant of comfort, first of all, it causes, it causes a lot of us to miss God's best because we've settled for something good. But complacency is different. Complacency is when we have willingly tolerated something in our lives that we know is not God's plan for us. As a youth pastor, I found myself always wanting to say to students, <laughs> Find somebody in your life who has a fire for Jesus burning in their heart, right? That's, that's what you want from as a mom and a dad, for your sons and daughters. That's what you want as a pastor. You know, you're pastoring students. You want to find somebody. If you're going to go into this whole romantic relationship thing, and that's a big thing. If you're going to do that, find somebody that has a fire for Jesus in their heart. That, that's the girl that you're looking for, and that's the guy that you're looking for. 
Because sometimes I just wanted to say that guy that you're with right now who doesn't have the fire of Jesus burning in their heart, I just want to say it, he's not your guy. <laughs> you ever want to say that, mom and dad? <laughs> you know, I, I don't need to be a counselor. I don't need to be, I don't need to be their parent. I, I, I don't even need to know anything about, you know, their life. I'm just telling you that boy is not your boy. And I don't need to hear back the conversation, which I've so often heard, but, oh, he's so close. You know, I've been praying for him. I'm his only Christian friend. And I'm going to help lead him to Jesus, and I'm going to disciple him, and, and then things are going to turn around, and blah, 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 right? And, and I'm like, well, okay, yeah, and, and when you do, please write the book, because I don't think I've ever read that book before. You know, I went and dated this guy who was clueless spiritually, but I won him to the Lord, and he didn't drag me away, but I pulled him closer to the kingdom of God, and now we're serving together in Tanzania, right? And it's a beautiful life story, and it's a bestseller. Now, God could do the miraculous, but that's not generally the story. I haven't read that book. Man, I'm telling you what. There, there are a thousand books that read a different story. You know, I'm going to be the one that brings that boy to Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that helps him see I'm the only Christian he knows. And we have that conversation with ourselves. I can't give up on him because if I give up and who knows what will happen to him. And, and, you know, I don't want to be responsible for him walking away from God. So I've got to hang in there, even though I know he's not the guy for me. And, and the story many, many times ends with, I saw it time and time again, the story many, many times ends with, and I got dragged away from my passion for Jesus. And a lot of times that story ends with, I'm married to that guy. That I knew from the beginning wasn't God's guy for me, but I got comfortable with that guy. And I got codependent on that guy, maybe. And I couldn't figure or even imagine myself with any other guy. And there I am, I'm sitting in the tent on the valley, and I'm getting comfortable, right? And I'm getting complacent. And even though I know it's not what God has for me, I'm sitting there in the tent. And some of you maybe made it to the Sunday gathering and you're like, oh my goodness, you're getting prophetic on me? No. <laughs> Something this morning. But for some of us, it, maybe it feels like that way because there's a giant standing in your life and sometimes it's called, it's not my plan for you. <laughs> the giant of, it's not my plan for you. And you know, we know it. And you're going, you're saying to yourself, you know what? I just feel secure. I, I, I feel secure with what I got. And it feels risky to roll up on the beach of Normandy today and to believe God for a brand new victory. And that giant called complacency, which is tolerating less than God's best, has got to come down. Amen. And if this is God's word for us today, there's no argument needed. We don't, know to the, we, didn't, we don't need to go to coffee to talk about it. And so, you know, I normally wouldn't say this, but, you know, don't call the church and ask if somebody can have a latte with you over this. We don't need to have any lattes over this. You don't need any more advice. Moms and dads, you don't need to give any more advice. This all hinges on one question. You know what the question is? Do you believe that that person is God's best choice for you? Can you answer that question? 
do you believe that that girl is God's best choice for you? Because honestly, you already know. Maybe he's not. And maybe you already knew that, but it's comfortable. And maybe that's not your decision today. It's something else. But you're comfortable. It's, I know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to keep telling myself that everything's great, and I love God, and I'm, and I'm following the Lord, and life is so amazing, and all the while there's a real view of life, and it is I'm sitting on a hillside, and I'm singing the songs about a giant slayer who I'm not allowing to have the full power to slay the giants in my life so that I can walk in the freedom that God wants me to walk in. And for all of us who've got some kind of complacency in life today, and we were all there Sometimes, this is the day. This is the day where the giant comes down. Amen? And so, how's that going to happen? Let's walk through the scriptures today. It's going to happen when a few things are true in our lives. Number one, it's going to happen when you say in your heart, I've had enough. I have had enough. The enemy is not going to steal my freedom anymore. It's time for my freedom. In other words, where you get to the point where you say it's time that we talked about this. You know, I love coming back to where our whole story is unfolding with David in verse 32, where David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Right? And, and everything changes there. That's when the music changes. That's when the theme music changes and starts going and pumping. And, and the narrative changes and the tone changes and everybody's focus changes because now someone is saying, hey, I've heard that this guy, since I've got here, you know, he's come out 40 days and 40 nights, I've heard, and this is going to be the end of this deal. This is the end. I have had enough. It is time. David is saying, this is invasion day. That's what he says when he comes. This is it. This is D-Day today. We're going to go on the beaches of Normandy, and somebody is going down into the valley today. <laughs> somebody is going to fight this giant, and today is going to be our D-Day. And at some point, you know, we're praying today that somebody in this room, somebody in this gathering will say, I've had enough. I've had enough. I am to say it a different way. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of living with addiction in my life or just accepting it like it is. You know, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't there. It feels familiar. I know it's not the best, but uh, it's what I understand, right? And, and somebody is going to go down into the valley, and that giant's going to go down. It's, 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 but I, it's how I cope. It's how I make it through. And, you know, so I'm, I'm just going to go and keep on doing that for one more day. No, there's got to be a moment where you say, no, enough is enough. Enough is enough, and I'm tired of this thing in my life, and I'm going to make a shift, and I'm going to make a change. And it's that point where you're willing to risk defeat and risk pain and risk hardship and risk ridicule of other people to step into the valley and into the light and get a hold of what God has promised you. It's a turning moment and turning point in your life. And remember, Jesus is the one that's the giant slayer. You know, normally that... What happens for us, and this happens for us a lot of times, and a lot of people's story, it reads this way. It's, it's when you're at rock bottom. 
doesn't have to be that way, but that's, that's, that's where we say, you know, that's where a lot of people say, well, I've had enough. I can't, I can't do this anymore. There's no way to look but up, right? That's, that's the story. That's how the narrative goes for a lot of us. And I mean, we've, we've, we've talking about, you know, reading books that haven't been written yet. You know, I haven't read the book yet of the person or the woman who said, you know, I was in business and, you know, things were going amazing and our, and our joint venture was blowing up and, you know, we sealed that bill and we put all the money in the bank and that was the day that we realized that how great God was and we fell to our knees and we surrendered our lives to him and we gave him total control of everything that we had and all of who we are. Yeah, that's amazing, but that's not generally how this part of the story goes where we say, you know, I've had enough. You don't read those books. The books that you read and where this part of the story comes in is we made it, but then the economy tanked, my family, my children, and it all cracked and it was crumbling around me and everything I thought could depend on was gone and I was down at the very bottom and I was on my knees and I said to Jesus, I need you. And you cried out and, you know, once my wife was out the door and she was gone and she's not coming back this time and finally it all came to me and I've got to change and I've got to wake up to what I've been tolerating in my life, you know, and I've got to come to terms with what, what I accommodated in my story, and I need a turnaround moment. That's the way the book goes a lot of times. And, and they say, you know, some people got to learn the hard way, right? That doesn't have to be your story. I'm just praying and saying this morning that your freedom day could happen today without the rock bottom part. That, we, that Jesus can shine the light in our lives where we become content living with less and that before it all crashes and burns, before it all crashes and burns, that we could stop the day and say, I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm turning around that today is going to be my D-Day. I can hear Jesus saying loud and clear, let no one lose heart on account of this giant. He's going down. <laughs> and I want to say this to each and every one of you that's in the room this morning. I mean it with everything that's in me. You've got a calling on your life. And it's bigger and better than you've ever imagined. Bigger and better than you can even think of. And he's got a vision for your life that is better than you can think of or imagine. John 10.10. 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's come to give you life and life more abundant. And so maybe somehow you're in that tailspin that you've accommodated and you've excused in your life by rationalizing it away with all these other reasons of why it's not my fault, right? <laughs> and maybe you realize that you need to come to the turning point, repent and turn. Repent, what does that mean? It makes doing a 180, right? You're going the opposite direction. Start going in the other direction. And so I wonder this morning how close maybe you are to hearing God speak directly to you today. It's, a time, to, it's time to stop rationalizing it's, and excusing and, and, and tolerating. And it's time to turn the car around today and step into what God has for you. The second thing that needs to happen, if this is going to be true of you, is that you've got to fight in the open. Translation, you've got to become vulnerable. Next week and, and for the three weeks after, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a community, what it means to be us, what it means to not live in isolation and insulation. And, you know, so that, that puts you in a place of vulnerability when you have people surrounding you and they're in your lives. You know, eventually you've got to come off the hillside and away from the campfire and away from the tent and the bread and the cheese and the grapes. <laughs> 
And you've got to step out into the middle of it all. And you go, I know that all the army is watching, but I don't care. I'm going to make myself vulnerable and I'm going to go into the light so that I can experience the victory that the giant slayer wants to bring me. Meaning that some of you today are going to need to leave the gathering and go straight to that someone in your life that loves God and loves you enough to give you some tough love, right? To help you on this journey. And you're going to need to make a phone call, some of you, before you step off the property today. You're going to need to huddle up with your family for some of you. Some of you are going to need to to make a marked commitment, even in this hour, and say, I'm stepping out into the promise of God for my life. The third thing that's going to have to happen if we're going to see this giant of complacency come down and see God's best come into our lives is that we're going to have to trade the victim's attitude for the victor's. In other words, we're going to have to believe today that we are linked to the power of Jesus and that we can walk in the victory that he's won for us. And the power that the enemy has got over our lives, maybe for a bunch of us, is the power of negativity. It's that soundtrack that plays and plays and plays. And by by telling yourself and maybe everyone else too that you're never gotten a fair shake in life it's just been my story you've never had things go your way in life and because of that thing or those people or that circumstance you're a victim and so your story is and has been I am a victim and it never works out for you and this isn't going to work out for you And you're always going to live the life looking up from the bottom and the victim's mentality. Right? It's taking that tape out and throwing it and stepping on it and crashing it. (laughs) And you've never got to be one of those people who just has, you know, what if you you became one of those people that has a faithful attitude that God is just and he's going to come through? And, and one who actually sees God do amazing things, and you're hearing that this morning, and you've got to come to the decision that this giant is going to come down today. That other voice, the victim soundtrack, is not the Spirit of God and not the voice of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember what happens and all the fruit that comes into our lives from the discussion last week, if you are here? You know, David said, I'm not going to go out and, and face that... I, I, giant alone. I'm going to go out and face that giant. It's a turning point in this battle. The giant slayer is going and it's D-Day. It's invasion day and this is it. I'm going to go fight him immediately. This giant is going down and Saul said, you can't do it, right? Saul comes at him and says, you're not going to be able to do it. His brothers already told him, you can't do it. But David says, I'm not taking no for an answer. I have a victor's mentality, not a victim's mentality. And all you jokers up on the hillside, by the way, right? All of you guys that are sitting in the tents shaking in your boots, listing all the reasons why this giant can't come down, I'm going to show you a different story. And so this 15-year-old boy who had already seen God do amazing things, David killed the lion and the bear, David killed the lion and the bear, and that's just what we have recorded. You know, he was, he was a shepherd boy out in the fields of Bethlehem. So we, we don't know what other, what other animals were, you know, he could have taken out a, 
puma or a cougar. We don't know. But these are the ones that are listed there. We don't know all that God had given him and put in the bag. And as far as the things that God had already seen him, we just know that he had a mentality that said, God is a victor. And I'm walking with him. So God is great. God is able. God is bigger than me. And I am his servant and I am with him, right? Through the power of God, I believe I can see the things of God come to pass in my life. So David did not walk in and go, well, I'm just the littlest brother. Because he was. He didn't walk in and say, well, I'm just the littlest brother. He, he didn't say, he, he, you know, I was forgotten at the house when they had the lineup. Because he was. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, I'm just the delivery boy because he was. He didn't say that. That's all I am in this story. And he's kicking the rock, right? He did not come into the valley and say, I can't do anything. I am just a bread boy. All I got asked to do was bring the lunch. Because that's all he was asked to do. Can you imagine this? The dad had just said, will you bring this bread up there to your brothers? And when you're there, take this cheese up there, you know, for them and for the commanders. That was his task. And then when he gets there to check on the well-being of his brothers, they're not doing anything. Can you imagine... You know, full of faith, this 15-year-old uh, boy who had, had seen God move in victory, and he walks up there, and he sees all these warriors in their tents. This is what's happening even today in our culture. We are watching before our eyes, tell me if you don't see it, a victim mentality and a victim attitude in our culture blossom. And we are standing in the moment of opportunity, looking down into the valley, and the whole world is at stake. And people have their hands in their pockets because they're like, well, I'll never do anything. You know, I've always been overlooked. I've been handed a bad deal in my life. I've been dealt a bad hand. I've got, abu I've got abuse in my family. I got the raw end of the deal. I got the raw, the bad end of that stick. And we're living in the front half of the gospel like victims. When Jesus, who is the ultimate victim, is alive from the dead. With scars on his wrist and on his side. And he is standing with the power and the authority today and the rule over every kingdom on this planet Earth. And he's inviting you to join him in the triumph parade. And so that's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, right? So I'm not minimizing anybody's story. Please understand, I'm maximizing the way that Jesus changes every story. I'm not asking anyone here. God is not asking anyone here to hide your scars because we all have them. And he's not saying, well, just act like you don't have any scars. Just keep your sleeves down and maybe nobody will notice that you were taken advantage in some way, shape, or form. No, he's saying, don't hide your scars because they're proof that you're still here. They're going to be proof that you've made it. 
And they're proof that you're still alive. They're proof that God brought you through whatever. Think about this. Jesus, after his resurrection, he still had his. He still had his scars. He forever has a form that we will see and recognize. And we will see the scars and see the wounds and the healed on the body of Jesus. And even so that Thomas came to him and said, if I could just touch the holes in your hands. And Jesus says, so I'm going to keep them so you can touch them, so you can see. So you will know that I genuinely was afflicted and even victimized. But at the end of the day, my story is not a victim story. Nowhere in any church... Christian church in the world today are Christians gathering and singing, you know, the song, singing songs of how Jesus was victimized. They're singing songs, people all over the world in every language today gathered all over the universe singing songs about the Lamb of God who was slain, but who is now risen. He's risen, reigning over every name, above every power, above over every evil. And so that's the story every, over every rule on this planet. And so let me ask you, why are you going to let the enemy define you by your scars when Jesus is wanting you to define you by his? And turn your story from a victim's story into victors. We've grown so accustomed to the victim story. It's the, it's, it's the only thing that I know. It's shaking our fist at the world. Nobody will ever really fully understand my story. You just don't understand what I've been through. I can't expect too much of myself, Sean. If you knew my story, you would not have high hopes, just like I don't have high hopes. You would know why I could never walk free of this giant. So let me tell you, I'm telling you this morning, you've been joined together with Jesus in a victory parade. I mean, I don't know if anybody you know, knows or, or cares about this. We were talking about this earlier, right? Today is NFL Super Bowl Sunday. I know some of you have some excitement. So I, would, I just want to ask you, if you could put on the uniform of one team right now, which, one would, which, which team would you be on? And Vikings. <laughs> Any sacrificial rams here this morning? <laughs> all right, all right. So you're going to be on the team. You're going to warm up, and you're going to put on the suit in a few hours for the big game. And it's not like you're going to sit on the bench. You're going to be on the team. You're going to be on the field. So great. Let's just say you're going to put on the suit of the Patriots, if you're a Patriots fan, and if you want, you can put on the, the, the Ram suit if that's your team. So you're going to put on that suit, and then when you walk out of the tunnel, part of a, a national winning awarded team, right? You're walking out in the field with a chance of the big win. What are you going to be thinking? What are you going to be thinking if you're going out there to win the game? What's your mentality? I am going to win. I am going to take this giant down, right? <laughs> I'm going to take that other team and I'm going to mop the field with them. They are going down. What are you going to be thinking if you've got a chance at that trophy? You're thinking as you're going onto the team, right? <laughs> you're going out there. You're suited up with either team. You're coming out of the tunnel thinking we are going to win this 
game. And so why do we as believers go through this life thinking, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. It's not going to go my way. Right? It's, I'm sure that God isn't going to come through. I know the situation is, you know, it's, it's too tough. Why is that? Because the enemy has gotten into our minds and he's put into our hearts a victim mentality that we refuse to understand or accept that we have to say goodbye to that soundtrack and that victim mentality. Jesus is riding in a parade called Victory. He's the Grand Marshal of the parade, and he's saying to anybody, anybody on planet Earth, you can come and ride with me in my parade of victory. And that, that's a great calling, because once you say goodbye to the victim mentality and hello to a victor's mentality, you've got to step up at that point and take the responsibility to live out God's best for your life. And guess what? God will change the nations with people that have a victor's mentality. It's a lot easier to live in the shadows, yes, yes it is. It's a lot easier to live in the shadows that, you know, to, than to step up and take the heat of the day, to step out and be vulnerable, to step out and say, I'm going to take this giant down. But the power and the victory and the life that God destined for you is not in the shadows. It's stepping up into the light of everything that he's promised for you. So two other quick things. If you're going to see complacency fall, You've got to root yourself in the long arc of heaven. David didn't know how long this thing was going to last, right? Well, he, he grabbed those five stones, those five smooth stones. I don't know if he knew it was going to, you know, take, he was going to take Goliath down with shot number one. Maybe he was prepared going into it. You know, not, not knowing how long it was going to last, but knowing that ultimately God is going to bring the victory. The giant slayer is going to win the day. So this is what Paul said in a different place in 2 Corinthians. This is in chapter 4. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's a victim, victor's mentality right there. He says, Yeah, we're walking through hardship, but God's winning. Yeah, the situation doesn't look good on the surface, but we're not looking at the surface. And we're looking beyond the surface to what God can do. And God is winning right now. And he's winning something that's going to outweigh all the pain that we're walking through. So he said, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is temporary, so since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Louis Giglio, um, who's the author of this book that um, this message was kind of formed around, Goliath Must Fall, he tells the story of Randall. Randall's a young man that he got to meet last year. It's been actually been a couple years now, down in Tampa, Florida. And, and he couldn't come to the Passion concert that they were doing um, down there in his town because he was having brain surgery at this children's hospital. And so he asked if the Passion Band would come and visit him there and, and bring the concert to his room, which they did. Um, they spent an hour in his room together. Louis was there. Um, Christian Stanfill uh, led some worship in the room, and they were singing, and they were just praising God in the hospital room. And Louis said that um, he asked Randall. They, you know, they've got this band of believers in there. He said, Randall, we're going to pray for you. We've come in faith. We've come in 
Jesus' name today. We come to believe today. We come to pray for you. In Jesus' name, Randall. And we want to agree with you with whatever you're wanting God to do in your life. And Randall's at a level, even at 11 years old, even though he's got this big tumor behind his eyes, a cancerous tumor, he gets what we're talking about today. And Louis asked him, what's the one thing you want us to pray for the most right now? In Jesus' name, what do you want us to pray for? Louis says that Randall looked at him and he says, without even blinking, he said, I want us to pray that people will see Jesus through this. You know, I was thinking, you know, that we would agree that maybe the cancer will be gone. I, the tumor will go away, that, that you won't have to have five more surgeries. You know, that the doctors will have a breakthrough, that medical science will come up with a cure. Any number of things that you're thinking, if you've got a room full of, you know, faith-filled Jesus followers in the room at your bedside, and you're going to be, that's going to be the stuff that's at the top of the list, right? But 11 years old, clear as a bell, didn't even blink, I want us to pray that people will see Jesus through this. You know what that is? It's a mentality that says, I might be going through a temporary storm, but there is a long arc called life. And wherever I'm going to go through is preparing me for an eternal glory. And that is going to make what I'm walking through look like a blink on the radar screen of eternity. And at the end of the day, I keep my eyes not on what I can see, but what I can't. Because what I see, that passes away, but what I can't see, that's eternal. And that is when the giant of complacency comes down. When I realize that my story is about so much more than just me. So this is what Paul said. We're in this parade of victory. He leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And look at this phrase that comes next. To spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So what does that mean? It means that your D-Day is like that D-Day. Would you stand with me? Because when... 4,000 plus people gave their lives that one day, 9,000 people who, whose lives were lost or injured on that one day, those, those amphibious craft are landing on that string of small beaches around Normandy into this storm of... <laughs> Woo! <laughs> the theme music changed! <laughs> <laughs> oh man so those craft are landing on that string of small beaches around Normandy into the storm of, our, of artillery they're getting shot at and valiant people are trudging into the water and on that day every life that was lost that day Every one of them was preparing the very freedom that some of us in this room were born into. And this war came at a great cost. So the big question is, was it worth it? It's for your freedom. 
absolutely is worth it. Because of what was at stake. Your freedom was at stake. So Jesus on his D-Day, he said, not my will, but your will, right? The giant of self went down that day. And he got betrayed. 30 minutes later, he was drug off into the night. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was railroaded. He was crushed. He was crucified. Was it worth it? It was for your freedom. It's worth it because you can now live free. So what's at stake on your D-Day today? Is it your kids? Is it is it your future family? <laughs> is it that guy that you're with that's not God's guy for you? Because that's a whole domino effect for a whole future and a whole family and a whole bunch of kids and their future and their family. And it's all banking today are you saying no to less and trusting God with his best? How about starting a new, a new future and a new path and a new plan and creating a new tomorrow? Amen. So it's, it's, it's even more. It's not just about us thinking about ourselves this morning. It's not just you. It's not just, it's not just addiction. It's not about you. It's not just even complacency. It's not about you. You're deciding what you want to do today, but maybe a whole city is at stake. Maybe a whole nation is at stake. Maybe history is at stake. And generations are at stake. Maybe there's a preacher for the next generation sitting in the room right now. Enough is enough. It's time, right? So, Father God, <laughs> we just declare this morning, it is time. Would you say that again with me? It is time. It is time. It is time. It is time. Today is our freedom day, God. Today is our freedom day. Whatever lies have been holding us back, if that soundtrack is still playing, the enemy's lies that have tried to take root, down layer upon layer upon layer, we dig those up this morning. Jesus, your light shines brighter than any lie. So Jesus, we, we just ask, let your words ring clear, ring true this morning. God, and as we step into the light and we make ourselves vulnerable, as we step out of the tent, as we step out of the place of complacency, the place of comfort, God, I pray, I believe, I know, because it's what you said, your plans, your purposes, they're greater. They're greater. They're bigger than we ever thought. Because you're bigger than we ever thought. So let every giant go down. God, thank you for the testimonies. God, thank you for all that you've done already. And God, that you will continue to do. 
not just one giant, but armies of giants fallen down in this place. God, we give you the victory. The victory is actually already yours. You're giving it to us. God, we say thank you. If you're here this morning with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you haven't said yes to Jesus, we want to give you that uh, that opportunity this morning. You've been uh, listening this morning and you're hearing the story about Jesus as our giant slayer and you say, thinking to yourself, I've got some giants, I've got some stuff in my life, I've got some history. (sighs) Let him come into your life this morning and rewrite history for you. Doesn't mean that the path will be without storms or struggle, but he is forever faithful and he's a forever friend. So I just encourage you, if if you're here this morning and... and, uh, You feel like this is a decision that is is maybe you're teetering on. There's a reason that you're here this morning. Would you just raise your hand with nobody looking around? I want to pray with you this morning. Is there somebody here that wants to say yes to Jesus for the first time? Amen. Let's say this together. Father God, I give you my life. I surrender. All that I am is yours. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for my freedom. Thank you for my liberty. Thank you for my (laughs) D-Day. My life is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for going with us on this journey this morning. Amen. Yeah, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate.